0: Let the farmer's dog know we sent you. Use our code or click podcast after you sign up for your first box.
1: And see, I've got those emails. And see, the thing is, it shows her mental state. I mean, she was emotionally worse than a teenager. Mark has then told her that they want any more contact with her and stuff. This is in the email, too, written by her. She um, found out about the 18-year-old girl he was dating. She said that he looked me in the eyes and said three times, It's over, it's over, it's
2: over. Ten years ago today, marked the last dun, 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 time anybody had a see dun,
0: dun, or talking to Tara Grinstead. Officially, police are calling this a missing persons GBI case.
2: $80,000 reward is being offered Where is Tara Grinstead? From Tenderfoot TV in Atlanta, this is Up and Vanished, the investigation of Tara Grinstead. I'm your host, Payne Lindsay. Several episodes back, I read some emails that Tara sent just a few days before she disappeared. That was only one of them. I can't reveal my source for these emails, but I can assure you they're 100% real. The first one I'm going to share today is from October 6, 2005. From Tara to Nancy, Marcus Harper's mom.
3: Marcus's voice was strong and confident when he told me it was over. That hurt because I knew he meant what he said. He did not do it out of frustration or argument. He said it because he knew that is how he felt. He's felt that way for a while by the sound of his voice because he never even hesitated to tell me. He was able to speak and tell me this with full confidence. When I asked him again, is it over? He said, yes. When I said, will we never be together again? He said, yes. I said, please don't do this. He said, Tara, it's over. And that is the last I heard. What terrible words left echo in my mind from the one true love I have. It's hard. I could never and have never said it was over, never. I never let him go, ever.
2: This next email is from Tara to her stepmom, Connie, on September 27, 2005.
3: To think that a 30-year-old like him would want to date or go out with a girl who just turned 18 is over me. Of course, I know he and Nancy can control an 18-year-old, unlike me. He was shocked when I said I knew who she was. I knew her name. I knew all about her. But no one knows I know this info. I have my ways of finding out stuff.
2: This next one is from Tara to her stepmom again. On October 20th, 2005. Just two days before she went missing. This was her very last contact with Tara.
3: He said he was seeing someone else. He told me it was over three times looking me in the eye and his new flame from what I heard is an 18-year-old girl who graduated in 2005.
2: She's talking about an 18-year-old girl Marcus started dating after they broke up. I called to discuss these emails with Maurice, but we decided to meet in person. We met at a hotel not far from his house, and the first question I asked him was about that 18-year-old girl.
1: She uh, had teacher friends in Tiffin, and those teacher friends had taught this girl who graduated in 05. And they informed her about this individual.
2: Do you think this is a good enough reason for motive? It seems like she's kind of going behind Marcus's back to dig out this information. Does this play a role to you at all in this
1: thing? She said that he was shocked when she told him that he was shocked. I think you have to take these emails cumulative uh, together. You can you can dissect each line, whatever. But here's here's the thing: a lot of people who have problems transfer uh, the issues they had as a child into adulthood and of course the behaviors are, are different uh, in adulthood but it's the fear of rejection the fear of abandonment uh your whole being your whole thinking your whole psychological makeup you lose everything and your thinking is irrational and she confirms that she had never acted like that before so at, at some level and i've i i can not say this because I've never examined her or anything like this but based on what we see here the attachment to him was more than just an attachment of a relationship. I think it shored up, shored up some type of feelings that she may have had as a child Uh, and then when you abandon that as an adult, fear is induced and you abandon that person as if they were a child. And what role do you think that plays in this case? The role that it plays in this case is um, irrational behavior. Seeking out to find out about this girl.
2: This last email I'm going to share with you is from Tara to her stepmom again on September 27th, 2005.
3: I've not expressed any of this to anyone. No one knows what I know. Please keep this between us. You'd be shocked if you knew the things that Nancy and Marcus said about me. You and Daddy would be downright angry to know the kinds of things they said about me, the person I am and my character. I'm telling you, it's awful and extremely painful to know the exact words between the two about me. Actually, I think it's been one of the most painful things I've ever had to deal with. They're both working together to obtain what they think is good, but it's the root of evil, greed, and envy. Their disguise does not fool me, and they can use all their energy to fool people and present themselves as something that they're not. Time will be the deciding factor. They can't get away with it forever. And when they fall, it will be a very hard fall. So much that one or both of them may never get back up on their feet. I don't need to be involved in that because I plan to stand firm and keep on walking. I won't look back either to wait for their fall or watch their fall. When it happens, I'll just be thankful I got out in time.
2: What is she talking about?
1: I don't think that she... Um, I, I personally don't know.
2: Yeah, it seems like she... I mean, because she kind of goes on about it.
1: So, obviously, it was getting at her, her reputation, that type of thing. See, see, one thing that you have to understand, Tara originally broke up with him. See, he got a letter when he was in Iraq, see? And he he let one of his friends read it to see if he was reading it right. And then he just... And he, thought he was so and he said he thought it was good for them to go on their separate ways then she decided that she made a mistake because she didn't want to live the army life military life see right uh then she made a mistake and then that summer the end of the end of the summer of five see they they went to florida together It just wasn't all terror marcus plays uh some of the role in her behavior toward him too there's no doubt about that he was all around her all the time I'm, I'm not, not literally all around her but I don't think he um did anything to uh discourage her all that much may have seen it as an ego thing
2: yeah or she has this like really strong vengeance it seems like against Marcus and his mom
1: yeah I just think that uh that that she felt like that they were one and the same that they they were uh both against her
2: maybe that Marcus's mom was promoting them not being together there, no doubt so Tara felt like Marcus's mother was in the way of Marcus oh
1: there, uh, that, that she ruled him she was clinging onto the last straw to try to keep some type of link to Marcus and it was through his mama
2: I tried not to overanalyze what Tara was saying in her emails but it was pretty hard not to Reading what she was saying just days before she vanished is bizarre. Whatever happened to her, it seemed like she wasn't in her right state of mind. All this just seemed too coincidental. I felt certain it was related to her disappearance.
4: Do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline. Uncover the mystery of June's sister's murder and find out about scandalous family secrets. The gameplay lets you find hidden clues as you investigate a murder mystery. Escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Let your imagination run wild when decorating your island estate and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Whether you're craving a good mystery or looking for an escape, you can immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I travel so much while working that I personally love to play it while sitting around airports with all that free time I have. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's Journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline. download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android
2: At the end of the last episode, I was searching for other possible men in Tara's life I stumbled upon the name Jim Hickey I had no clue who this was or if this was even a real person so I found who I thought was him on Facebook and shot him a message It turns out he did know Tara and he agreed to talk to me. Just a fair warning about this phone call I'm about to play. It's pretty long, but I feel like it's important, so stick in there.
5: I didn't know her all that well. I was introduced to her by uh, the superintendent of Irwin County at the time, Troy Davis. And we went out one time in Atlanta, and when I was going through town one time, we went and had lunch. But, you know, we periodically text or email or, you know, chatted on the phone occasionally. But, you know, I was in Atlanta and she was in South Georgia. So it was...
2: Were you down there for your job? Is that why you were there?
5: Yeah, I was... Uh, I worked in educational sales, software sales, and uh, a friend of mine had mentioned her to me and, and uh, we went down and did a presentation at elementary school. And then I, I said something to Troy about trying to introduce me to her, which he did, and and again, those two, you know, the two times that we were together were a result of
2: that. Around what time was that? Was that in the month of October?
5: I, you know, not, I wouldn't even remember. I mean, that's been 12 years ago. So, but it was, you know, it was before, obviously, before she disappeared. But.
2: Was it in the year of 2005 or was it the year before?
5: Uh, I, let's see, what did she? It would have been probably... Uh, trying to remember off the top of my head, I would say probably it would have probably been an 05, maybe. And again, I'm going off memory. It very possibly could have been 04.
4: Because
5: she was a teacher and they did a, a conference uh, down in uh, Jek- or St. Simons, in Jek- St. Thomas, actually. And I, and I just can't remember whether it was the one that year or the one the previous year. She came up to visit a friend of hers in Atlanta one time who uh, it, I think she knew from the patches that she was singing at a uh, an Irish bar over in Brookhaven, and uh, we we met up that night.
2: How many times did y'all did y'all hang out? You think
5: that one time, and then like I said, one other time I came to Osilla and we went to lunch over in Fitzgerald.
2: Did you ever go to her house or anything?
5: Uh, yes. Yeah, I met her neighbors. Uh, there was also a guy that owned a a drugstore down there who, uh, it's a big Georgia fan. I played football at Georgia back in the 80s. And in fact, the, the night that she uh, went missing, I was actually up at the Georgia-Arkansas game in, uh, in in Athens. We were up in one of the skyboxes. Yeah, when they started calling guys up, I was like, I was low on the total pole. But because I'd had interaction with her, of course, you know, anybody who'd had interaction with her at all was on the was on the list.
2: Did the GBI contact you and interview you?
5: Yes. Yeah.
2: Did they tell you why they reached out to you?
5: She had text messaged me the night she disappeared. I got a text message from her that it said, I'm cold. I was like, okay, what is that? What is that supposed to mean? But I was busy, you know, hanging out with people and so forth. You know, it was during the game, and I think that was a night game, if I remember correctly. I could be wrong um when when georgia played arkansas i think it was a night game and i had a game day condo at the time and um i'd had a little bit too much to drink that night so i didn't end up, end up leaving Athens until about i don't know six or seven the next day because it was my condo i could sleep in and i called her the next day on my way back to atlanta and i left the bo- message on her voicemail and so that was the curious thing to me when the, the whole thing went down it was how long it took for me to hear from the GBI and I think the only reason for that is again like I said I was I was not high on the totem pole
2: right so she said I'm cold
5: yeah so what had happened was I, she was at Troy Davis's house he actually walked her down the steps at 11 o'clock that night because they were watching the Georgia game over at his house which they would say they kind of did on a regular basis because he's, he's a big Georgia fan and he'd always have people over and cook out and so forth. And he walked her down the steps at 11 o'clock and nobody's seen her since. He, one of the reasons why he encouraged her to, to meet me was to get her out of this small town mentality to make her realize there was a world outside of Osceola, Georgia. And and I think she was bitching to him that I was not following up with her. And he said, well, why don't you send him a text if you're cold and you need him to come warm you up? And she of course, and she And she, of course, said, I'm not going to send you that. But she did. Hang right, with me a second. I'm trying to, I'm trying to my GPS is on my phone, so I'm trying to do two things at one time. But, um, yeah, she was uh, complaining that um, I wasn't following up with her, and he was jokingly saying, why don't you tell him you're cold and you need him to come warm you up? And she said, well, I'm not going to send him that. And so what I got was the I'm cold instead of the whole comment.
2: Huh. And that was during the game, so...
5: Correct. Probably would have been in that time frame between 11, 8, and whenever he walked her out of there. I mean, I, re- I remember looking at my phone uh, when I was up in the box. So, you know, but I, I, again, that's, you know, 11, 12 years ago, I wouldn't remember the exact time. She did talk about her family, and, and uh, she didn't drink. She, I think she had a, a history of alcoholism in her in her family. I think that was always a concern of hers. And anything I know about her personal life really was what stuff that came out during the, like the aftermath. Because I guess it turns out she was having, you know, an affair with some cop up in Ferry. There may have been a couple other guys. You know, and who, who knows how much any of that was true. So,
2: Did she ever mention Marcus Harper to you at all? Or?
5: You know, not not anything extensive. I mean, I think he was, you know, typical a typical guy who's come back from military seemed to be very controlling and so forth, you know? So, yeah, I didn't know much about their particular relationship, but you know, there was something about her that was a little off to me. What do you mean? Just her whole thing with her, her, the, her family. And, um, I don't know. It, it, it's, I couldn't put a finger on it, but it was, you know, it made me say not want to really pursue anything with her she was really committed to her kids at that school and, you know, so she always had stuff going on on Friday nights and, you know, I I traveled a lot for work, so I wasn't going to travel down there, you know, for one night. And, you know, she made some comment to me about her parents talking to her about alcohol, but never, they never talked to her about, about sex. So it seemed like that was maybe a big deal to her. And so maybe that's what the relationships were with this guy. And, and the other stuff, and and maybe her relationship with Marcus. I mean, But again, that's all speculation on my point because she never never really talked about it. The whole thing came as a shock to me. In fact, I called her and left the message on Sunday, and um, my understanding is that cop from Perry had left like 29 messages on her phone, which shows a level of craziness in my, my opinion. But I got a call I got a call Monday morning. I was on my way for a meeting over in uh, Carrollton with the superintendent of schools over there. Troy called me that morning and uh, you know, Troy was a kind of no bullshit guy. For him to be calling me in the morning, I knew something I immediately felt kinda of like a, a because his first question was, Have you seen or heard from Tara? And I'm like, Okay, he's not calling me up to ask me how the weather's doing and I'm like, No and he goes, Well, she did show up at work this morning And I'm like Okay, that's not good. And then I get a call while I'm in my meeting from her phone. Really? So my immediate thought is, okay, everything's okay. Well, but it was a friend calling me on her phone. Oh, wow. Yeah.
2: Which friend called you?
5: I, I wouldn't even remember.
2: Did you talk to her or you just didn't answer the phone?
5: No, I answered the Well, no, I didn't answer the phone. Uh, she had left a message. I think I did call her back, though. Okay. You know, because they were, you know, they were searching all angles at that point.
2: And that was Monday morning?
5: Correct. Monday afternoon.
2: So the GBI talked to you. Did they seem like they were just checking you off the list or did they?
5: Correct. They were definitely just checking me off the list. My friend's dad's an attorney down in Fitzgerald, and he represented the DNR guy. And the GBI guy had to come meet with him about another case a murder case that they'd had in South Georgia. And when they got done talking about that, my friend started chatting with him about that that, this case. And he said, hey, I heard you've met a friend of mine. And the guy guy said, oh, really, who? And he said, Jim Hickey. And the guy says, oh, yeah. He said, you know, he made the comment that I was not high high on the priority list. You know, any guy who had any interaction with her whatsoever, including Troy, who walked her out of the house that night, you know, everybody had to be interviewed. You know, the crazy thing is never, never, ever in my life could I have imagined that I would have had to have been interviewed by a guys.
2: Have you been to Osilla since then?
5: Uh, I have, actually, because I had some meetings with the uh, the new superintendent down there. I'm no longer in that industry of business. I've gotten out of it. So yeah, I've been back to it there a couple of times. And interestingly, that when I went by, I went through there one time, and I went by to see the the, the guy that I told you that I met at the uh, drugstore, and he acted really weird. Who,
2: who was the drugstore guy?
5: I, I wouldn't have remembered his name. All I remember about him was he was a big Georgia fan, and he had this special-made car that he had. Uh, there was two drugstores downtown, and I think his is subsequently uh, closed. He, I mean, he met me with her, right, because she had brought me in to introduce me to him. And so I was like, hey, remember me? And it was almost like he was acting like he didn't know who I was, which I found very, very strange.
2: Did he work at the drugstore? He owned it. How old was he?
5: Uh, I would say he was probably in his 60s, maybe 50s, late 50s, early 60s, maybe. First of all, the fact that I played at Georgia, and he's a Georgia fan, I would have thought I would have got some like, hey, good to see you. Or like, hey, can you believe what happened to Tara or, you know, some acknowledgement that he knew me through her and hey look what happened. That was definitely bizarre to to me.
0: Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair.
6: Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it
0: anyway. Dig.
2: Ten years gone by, you know, what are your what theories have run through your head? I mean, if you had to pick something, I mean, what stands out the most to you? You
5: know, who knows? You know, you don't want to throw her boyfriend under the bus because, I mean, that's not fair to him. You know, there is a uh, an attitude or a, a thought in our country that you're innocent until proven guilty. So everybody was grabbing for straws when this whole thing was going on, and your name gets pulled into something, and you, you know, it's bullshit.
2: What do you think happened?
5: I, honestly, honestly, I have no clue, dude. Well, I mean, because there's just no evidence. I mean, there was nothing. Nothing for the police. And that's the sad part of this whole thing, as far as I know, because if there was any evidence, uh, you know, it's just a sad situation. It's just sad that, that human beings do that to each other. She was a, a great person. I mean, her kids loved her. I mean, anybody that, I, everybody that I knew that, that knew her cared a lot about her. I, I doubt you're going to get him to talk, but that thing with the cop, to me, is extremely, extremely weird. I mean, anybody anybody that calls, anybody, I mean, I forgot how many times he was on their message machine, but that's a disturbed person. It's a controlling person. Maybe you call twice. I'll give you twice. But at some point, you know you've left a message. You don't need to leave, like, 20 more of them. There's somebody down there that's got a lot more information I've got, whether they're willing to talk about it or not. It's a whole other issue. Small towns have a way of covering shit up.
1: You know what's interesting about that? I mean, they looked at that DNA glove and the latex, but it doesn't match any of the men that apparently were in her life who all have alibis. And they not only ran it through the state DNA database, but they ran it, as you said, right, the national DNA database, and it matches no one.
2: It was, appeared that Tara may have left on her own. However, we had a glove, a latex glove, that we couldn't explain. Perhaps the most mysterious part about this whole case is that latex glove found in Tara's front yard. You could think of a thousand different theories of what happened to Tara, but then somehow you have to fit that latex glove into the picture. I just can't wrap my mind around the fact that the DNA doesn't match a single person in this case. I spoke to the Osceola police chief about this glove, Billy Hancock, and he told me it was white, just like a standard latex glove you could buy at a pharmacy. But a few weeks ago, I was re-watching some of the older TV specials on this case, and I came across something pretty interesting. This is Greta Van Susteren interviewing Tara's sister Anita about the glove.
6: I take it a latex glove would be something unusual in her front yard. It was a blue latex glove, one that you would see worn by um, law enforcement.
2: Did you catch that? Tara's sister said the glove was blue, not white. Why would she think that? Maybe she was just confused. But this is Tara's sister we're talking about. She should know. For further clarification, I called Maurice.
4: To your
1: knowledge you know to be the color of that glove? I know that color to be uh, white. Uh, That's what I was told. Uh, It was supposed to be, uh, you know, bagged and tagged for evidence, um, but I was informed by um, one of Tara's best friends that when she went to um, the police department on Wednesday that she saw the bag sitting on the desk of Detective Barr's desk at Scylla PD on Wednesday. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but that's what I was told. Where it's supposed to be, uh, you know, uh, bagged and tagged and taped and labeled on the outside. If that's true, would
5: it jeopardize the, the reliability of that glove? If it is
1: true, it would give a defense attorney a lot of ammunition.
2: So the police chief says it's white. Maurice says it's white. But Tara's sister says it's blue. Maurice also said that Tara's friend saw the gloves just sitting in a bag on a desk at the police station several days later. I knew the friend he was talking about because I tried to reach out to her almost six months ago. So I hit her up again, and this time, she was down to talk. She told me she was concerned about her safety, and she didn't want me using her name.
6: I walked to that house. I got there daylight. There were already police people in there. When you say have you been house? Have you been to that house yet?:
2: I've been to it. I haven't been inside it, though.
6: Okay, when you go right up to the door, Mm -hmm. the glove was laying in like a bed, like in the middle of the yard, between Mm -hmm. two trees. It wasn't like a flower bed. It was more like just a pine straw bed that had two trees in it. I saw it. Like, Bill Bars and them had not even found it when I got there. I saw them pick it up and put it in a paper bag. Nobody saw it. Okay, so I said... I said, hey, you know, there's that. And they were supposedly, like, they already saw it, but they had not picked it up yet. Well, they went and picked it up and put it in a brown paper bag. Three days later, it was still sitting behind Bill Bars' desk. And the GPI had been there. I was like, man, when are you going to give them that glove? So that thing had sat there unsealed for three days. So, I don't trust that glove. That glove don't mean shit to me. It could be changed out. It was a blue latex glove, and I'm not even
2: sure that the one they have now is blue. You are 100% certain it was blue. I'm 100%
6: certain.
2: Thank you guys for listening to Episode 9. If you're enjoying the show and you want to help us out, you can do so by subscribing on iTunes, giving us a rating, and writing a review. All that really helps us in the iTunes charts. This Thursday, I'm dropping a bonus Q&A episode. Maurice will be on as a special guest and will answer some of your questions. If you want to participate, just call our voicemail line anytime. The number is 770-545-6411. We're taking a short week off for Christmas. So after the Q&A episode this Thursday, the next episode will come out on Monday, January 2nd. And by the way, we got a new website. Just go to upandvanish.com to check it out. And for the latest updates on this case, check out the discussions page. Thanks for listening, guys, and I'll see you this Thursday.